Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we take a look at the weekly Come Follow Me discussions and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with our friend and the show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. What's up, baby boy? Hey, you know, how was Alaska? It was awesome. Yeah? Yeah, it was really good. You saw? You, you, did you see bear? No, did you not see bear? No, we saw we saw a lot of really fresh bear remnants. Bear beats Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> I don't I don't understand a word you just said. We saw we saw more fish than I've ever seen in one place in my entire life. I believe that we went out into like the middle of nowhere, nowhere, and uh, we had to get there by like bush plane. And it was awesome, man. I did. I did want to say. I did want to say. Wait, are we gonna? We're talking about Jonah later. We are. Oh man, do I save it for that? I got some good stuff, man. Jonah. How are we talking about Jonah when it's the New Testament? I know because that's what we do, baby. That's, that's what we do. That's, of course, we talk about Jonah when it's the New Testament. That's how we roll. Um, let me throw this out there. Okay. I don't think I ever realized what it meant. When Jesus told Peter to be a fisher of men, because I know nothing about fishing, at least before this trip, right? Okay. I had my mind blown this week when I realized how hard catching fish actually is. It's tough, man. Elaborate. Throwing your line in water is easy. Catching fish is hard. Take this for what you will. Okay. Fish are very different. They're different even within the species. You can be tossing a line that can have something you're like, I know for sure that sockeye salmon love this. And it can float right in front of their faces and they do nothing about it. And so you can either give up or you can try something else. And you can try something else and that may or may not work either. And then you may try something that actually does work and you can... You can actually fish, right? You can catch a fish. And then there's times where you just have to accept, which I had to. I've tried everything. I've changed my depth. I've changed my lures. I have to also accept that these fish are not interested in what I'm selling them. Being a fisher of men's probably tough. That's all I'm going to say. It is tough. And maybe, maybe if we still feel that call, you know, if, if we still feel that is as something that we've been asked to do outside of serving a full-time mission, right? If we still, if you and I still feel, which I do, by the way, I still feel that, that that is still something that we are called to do. It's, it's, it's harder than you think, and it's probably something that can't be done very casually, and it's probably something that when Christ told Peter to do that, Peter probably understood the depth of what that actually meant way more than I ever have in reading that scripture. And what I've loved reading about this the stuff in the New Testament is is that is that there is not one right way to go and be the fisher of men. There's not there's not a one size fits all. And how fun has it been reading how Paul deals deals with certain circumstances and how Peter deals with certain circumstances different and 
maybe the hardest part is also having to then sometimes go. But you know what? Sometimes you can't you can't just force the fish in your boat, right? You can't you can't you can't always win, man. And I think that uh, that that call to Peter has meant a lot more to me after this week. Well, talking about Peter going, you know, probably I would imagine a very successful fisherman to be sure. to be where he was at, right? To go the whole night being skunked, not catching anything. And it's not like he just has one or two lines in the water, right? He's got a whole net. And and he's not relying on the fish actually going and biting. He is he is swooping them up into a net and still not able to catch anything. It, it just sometimes it happens. Yeah, and then when Jesus tells him how to do it, though, and you know maybe that's maybe that's the answer though right maybe the answer is is that we need to we need to rely on that same process and that process worked because Christ said toss them over there they followed that instruction and it worked right i i don't think that being a fisher of men is going to be that easy all the time though and I even think sometimes just about you, you want to know what my first thought went to is is the Sunday school teachers teaching our youth that that's not a one size fits all calling, but my goodness, what an important calling that is, right? Right. And I I feel more and more inside me a desire to do what I can in this world to help with the youth of this church building stronger foundations earlier on in life and at least ways of just discovering processes of 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 finding truth in a world where it's just bonkers right and when i think of when i think of fishers of men i think of i think of the teachers of the youth and i think I hope that they are following inspiration to go how can I how can I be as agile as needed and as flexible as needed and as ready to switch it up as needed to better serve and try to bring in all of the people not that are just coming but all of the people that I'm assigned to right that I'm assigned to minister to as a teacher of that class. I thought a lot about that. I, I like those thoughts. And and I don't think there's much in life more satisfying or rewarding than when you catch a fish. Oh, dude, when you're a terrible fisherman like I am. <laughs> <laughs> when you get fish on, right? Oh, That's... dude, fish on was like, I didn't get to say it nearly as much as obviously all of the people that I was with because they're all like, and, that's, and there's something in that too, though, is that the people that I was with, it's like, in theory, we're all throwing out the same stuff, right? But it's like they've learned through experience over time. Hey, let me let me move this up. Hey, it's how you move it. Hey, it's it's, it's nuance, right? It's like all these little things. It's like how can how can these dudes be catching so much more fish than me? And then when you realize, like, oh, it's because they've spent time learning and researching and thinking through this in in way deeper that you go, okay. I I love that again Christ talked to to Peter in a way that he knew Peter would understand, right? Uh-huh. And 
you know, I don't know, maybe I'm missing it where where Jesus told Paul to go be a fisher of men, but I don't know if Paul, if Paul, that would have meant the same thing to Paul, right? Right. All I'm saying is for me, I can be out on that same river in theory doing the same things and, and not getting the same results, but there's even a lesson in that too, man. And, you know, and I asked my brothers-in-law and, 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 you know, father-in-law and, and family there, you know, uh, uncle-in-law, Hey, give me some tips. And it's crazy. It's just like, hey, I've noticed that you're doing this. Tweak it like this. Try this. Try this. Okay. After adding that little move to the to the to the repertoire to the arsenal, it's like, oh cool, a little grayling jumped on this thing. It's like, okay, cool. It might not be the biggest fish, but I'll tell you what, it still felt awesome to be like, hey, I implemented this new thing and it actually worked. It's like there is no greater feeling, especially as a terrible fisherman. Than to catch a fish, so I don't know. I guess I'm, the point being is, is make your own connections. I definitely, obviously, am, am rethinking that whole analogy, and it's making me want to recommit to better serving, not just like whatever everybody, but specifically those that I minister to or that I am assigned to in various callings and. I don't know. Maybe it'll mean something. You thought you thought this was just kind of a a little tangent, taking something off of your experience that you learned over Alaska, kind of at the introduction. You didn't realize that this actually ties in with what Paul's saying this week. I, I didn't. No. Yeah, this is right out of remember, Paul. Remember when I texted you this morning because we flew in this morning at five thirty a.m. Yes, and I just texted Ooh. you and I just said, "Hey, man, I just need a few minutes at the beginning. I got some good stuff." Yeah, you had no idea. This is actually right out of the pages okay, well of Paul. Then, then let's get in it. This is uh, Romans chapter 5, and and he says, And not also, excuse me, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, mm. and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And and that process that he walks us through, tribulation breeds patience, patience breeds experience, experience breeds hope. Hmm. And and I can't help but think of that chain of events when you're talking about fishing, right? When you have somebody that's got that experience, that's right. That can that that has hope that they can catch a fish, where if you don't have that experience, you don't you don't have the same hope. In fact, it's really hard for you to to stay engaged because you yeah. might think this is hopeless, right? And and I think, you know, take that and apply that to any number of things in our life when we experience tribulation or something that that we're not getting the expected results or things are not going the way that we thought they were. If we are to check out right there, instead of taking that opportunity to learn patience and waiting it out, um, even taking this, even taking this to saying a prayer and waiting for God to answer that prayer, and if we decide it's not worth waiting for anymore mm. and we don't have patience, then we miss out on the experience. If we if we patiently wait, and we patiently wait, and we patiently wait, then we see the hand of the Lord revealed. Then we see it pay off, 
And then we get the experience. We know what it's like to wait, and we know what it's like to get the reward, and we know what we need to do now. And that gives us hope for the next time we come into tribulation that it's going to work out because we've already had that experience before. Did you ever... Are you a fan of the band Arcade Fire? I I don't know if I know Arcade Fire. They have a song called We Used to Wait. Okay. And it it, it was released in 2010, and it's one of the most devastating, harrowing, like, prophecies from 13 years ago. But what you just said is is the point of it, which is, as a society, we used to wait. We used to write letters. We used to wait for letters. Like, we were okay. And and even, and and the line, sometimes it didn't even come. But that was okay. Like, we used to wait, right? Mm -hmm. And thinking of a song written like that from 13 years ago (laughs) into a world where we are now, and... Of course we don't wait anymore because everything that we want is at our fingertips at all times. A movie you want, you can get it. A song that you want to listen to, you can get it. Anything that you want, you can get it. Right then, right there. A new a new a new battery for this, you can probably have it on your doorstep by the end of the day just from ordering it from your phone. Do you see what I mean? Yes. We used to wait and there was something inherently good about being patient and about being able to just take a beat and just wait in line. We're not as practiced as that. Holy cow. We have a hard time waiting. And you wonder why you have a a world full of... Anxiety? Anxiety. And you see it play out a lot in the church. You see it play out a lot with a lot of new missionaries coming out and going and, and them trying to, the church trying to find ways to keep people engaged because like, yeah, of course, like, of course anxiety is run rampant. It's like we live in a world and no fault of like anybody specifically, but like we've just moved into a busy, busy world. There's just, there's, and, and you and I are just as much of, of a victim as much as a creator of the problems too, right? Like right. Uh, like our generation, you and me specifically, like we kind of were that weird bridge where the internet became a thing. But even then, old internet, the old dial-up stuff was so slow that you had to wait for your sibling to get off the phone with their, with their boyfriend. You'd watch the screen load one line at a one time. One line at a time, man. Got great stories about that, by the way. <laughs> but, sure but needless to say, needless to say, even then, even in the early internet days, it was usually so painfully slow that you kind of just had... I mean, do you remember how long it used to take to boot up a computer? Yeah. I mean, or, it's like... Or watching a show as a family and, and, and commercial breaks would be the chance to like run and go to the bathroom, bathroom cook go get popcorn. the popcorn That's going. so funny. <laughs> Dude, and, and I don't mean to turn this whole thing into this, but like... You used to have to go down to Blockbuster yep. and hope that the movie that you really wanted to rent hadn't been all checked out. 
And even then, sometimes you would have to wait, hoping that the person was bringing it back by the time that they needed to bring it back by. I, I still have my childhood library barcode memorized because of how many times I had to type it in to put something on reserve for, yeah. for when the book would come back or the movie or the CD or whatever it was I was checking out. Fishing is a really good opportunity to be patient. Because not everybody, not everybody's ready to be caught on our busy timeline. And I know for me, it is, it is, there is something that is amazing that where we went, we got no cell phone reception and just immediately removing that distraction made it so much easier to wait and just be patient and to go, Hey, I know that nothing's biting right now, but let me just stay in this a minute longer. And then if that doesn't work, okay, then kind of rethink it. But you know what I mean? I I guess I'm just saying like there is, dude, as kids, we were bored and there was nothing better for our brains than to be bored and have to figure out a way to entertain ourselves in the middle of the summer when none of our friends could play and our mom didn't want us inside. Like, dude, there was nothing wrong about being bored. I can't remember the last time in my, like, adult life, at least in the last 10 years, that I've been bored. Because there's always something there now to fill it. That's dangerous, man. It it does, and it takes away patience. And if you remove patience, then you lose experience. And if you lose experience, you lose hope. There you go. And and if you feel like you're living in a hopeless world... <laughs> We need, we need, we need more patience, and and we get that through tribulations, and we've got to learn to wait on the Lord, and we've got to learn to wait on those answers, and realize that it's not always going to come at our fingertips, and the answer is not always just one Google search away from knowing what the world thinks about an issue. It's waiting on the Spirit to 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 bear witness, to understand something at a different level, at a different depth, to learn from heaven. And when we go through that process, we gain experience and we know what it's like and we have hope that we can do it again and we can do it again and we need to learn to rely on the Lord. You 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 bring up a good point too. Think of how fast we want to consume news and then whether it was right or wrong, just let it go and move on to the next thing. I mean, we just we don't even want to wait for the facts to come out. We don't want think yep. think of this think of this in a religious context, right? Oh, this report came out that said this person back in this day said this or did that or did that or said this or whatever. It's just like it's piranhas, and then you take a beat. A week later, it's like oh. Well, actually, <laughs> here's the context. Here's the context of that, and blink, 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 blink. But the, the piranhas have already come and tore it to shreds, taken what they've wanted from it, and then moved on to the next inflammatory thing. But it's like, it's it's like I know it's cliche, but it's like news news isn't isn't articles; it's headlines. Like you almost kind of gotta say what you need to say in the headline because. It, it, because we're so impatient to even read the whole story that you're going to confirm your own biases by headlines 99.9% of the time and move on. How on earth are you supposed to understand the depths and complexities of this universe 
if you can't understand the depths and complexities of what's going on around you. If you can't even accept nuance around you, my goodness. Like, and, 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 and again, in a religious setting, it's like things that you and I were even just chatting about earlier today, right? That we're eventually going to talk about, like we're going to record, but you and I are going in 40 years. It took us 40 years of doing this to go, oh my goodness. How did we miss that? How did we miss that? And, and like, how did we not just miss it? How did, how did thousands of years of people not catch up? Yes. And it makes me terrified for the upcoming generation who there's, there's mysteries for them to discover too if they have the patience to wait for it, to push through, right? Answers don't come like a Google search, not with God, for me at least. Well, and here's the interesting thing. You mentioned that that song made that reference 13 years ago, which didn't seem like it was near as much of a problem as what we're That's facing right. today, it, right? It was prophecy. But let me tell you this. Is that not the same thing that tripped up Adam and Eve in the very beginning? <laughs> was it not? My man. Dude, uh, here you have <laughs> this option. What do we do? Waiting further light and knowledge. Or here's an alternative that gets you there right now. I mean... Can we can we take it back even before that to the pre-earth life? Tell me. I mean, we lost a third of the hosts of heaven with with the idea of, hey, you're going to need to go down there and you're going to need to make mistakes and you're going to need to learn from those mistakes and you're going to need to repent. And a third of the hosts of heaven said, we want to know that we're making it back. Yep. We want to know now that we're making it back. We don't want to wait to figure out. We don't want to run that risk. We you have, don't want to. You have Lucifer, who, before this, had all potential to become a god himself, going, I want the shortcut. No, we're going to do this my way, and, and, and with that, I'm also going to get that glory, too, instead of doing it the patient way, which is, no... You go down there and you get a body and you go through the trials and tribulations and you learn how to repent and there's eventually going to be a savior. And then who knows what's going to happen? You know, because the decisions that you make are going to turn X, Y, and Z. It's like, oh, that's a long process. But dude, you nailed it with Adam and Eve. Oh my goodness. Dude, Paul actually hits this a second time from a different angle. Hit and me with it, Paul. <laughs> Uh, who's, right. the mo- who's the most popular now? Paul. Oh all right, come on, dude. What does Paul have to say about this? This is. I'm not editing this out. Romans. <laughs> Where are we? Romans what? Romans chapter 2. Okay. And, and this is uh, verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Now, let me give you a little bit of context of what Paul's even talking about. He's saying that, that people despise the long-suffering and patience of God with the sinner. And you look at the sinner and you condemn the sinner, and why isn't God punishing this person? Mm-hmm. Why isn't God... And, and so you despise his long-suffering and his patience, and Paul says, knoweth you not that long-suffering and patience is what brings the sinner to repentance. 
And and are we not praying that God has that same sort of patience and long suffering yeah, with, with us, us? Yeah. As we're trying to figure it out and and get that patience and we want that long suffering, we want that patience. Are we willing to afford that to others as well? Or are we quick to 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 condemn them and and rain down hate and say they don't deserve God's love, they don't deserve God's mercy? Are, are we missing patience not with just waiting for answers? But in also judging those around us, and and do we not blame God or or look at His judge His His patience and long suffering and say that's not called for? Excellent point. Great stuff. It is funny though because there were times in the Old Testament where God was like, "I'm getting rid of these dudes." <laughs> There's no more patience. And Moses was like, "Hold on, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> hang on, hang on one second. I know they're the worst, but you love them. Remember, you love them. I love them. They're knuckleheads. It it, it does. I should have, you know, I should have read verse 3 with it too, because that gives you the right context. He says, uh, And thinkest thou this, O man that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Yeah. I don't know. There's there, there's something to be said there, but it is interesting. You do point it out because how many times did God give His prophets in the Old Testament the option to be the intercessory, the one who's pleading for patience on on the part of God to save His people? Love it. I'm excited, dude. We're gonna we're gonna get into some good Paul stuff tonight, dude. Paul's amazing, and this marks this marks an interesting shift in the New Testament. So we've been doing New Testament from January to here we are now in August, and and we've shifted from narrative. I mean, the Gospels are all talking about the life of Christ and what Christ said and what Christ did, and and you have Acts, which is talking about all the events that happened after after Christ's death and resurrection, and you're really hyper-focusing on Paul. But now we're getting into these epistles, which are no longer narrative accounts about what people are doing. This is firsthand their words as they're writing to somebody else. So this is a, a big shift in, in focus and in writing and in, in what we're doing with the New Testament this year. The Romans is actually the last epistle that Paul writes. It's not that these are in chronological order. And, and Paul's writing, this is, this is what makes this book so interesting to me. Paul's writing to a group of people that he has never been to see. He's never been to Rome. And he's writing to these people, and, you, and you, it, it almost seems like, what, what are you doing, Paul? Like, how do you know these people? What's your connection? Why is Paul so, so determined to go and see him? And, and see, we talked a little bit about this last week with the last part of Acts when he goes to Rome, right? And you asked the question, Nate, do you think he loved this people that he hadn't met, that he didn't know? Like, what's that draw? And, and the, the answer is, I think Paul answers it himself in this epistle. And, and I'm going to go, this is chapter 1, verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. He's praying for these people that he's never met without ceasing, as God is his witness, continually praying for them. Verse 11, for I long to see you. 
that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So did Paul love these people? I, I think the answer to that question is absolutely. And it's interesting that he, he feels so drawn to a people that he's never had that association or that interaction with. How did this come about? And, and it's not just the Romans. Paul tells him twice here in the book of Romans, in the epistle to the Romans, that he's also headed to, to Spain. By the Romans, he's headed out to as far west as he can go. Who are these people that has captured Paul's love, his focus, his dedication, that he is, he is bent on visiting them? And he writes this, this long epistle to these people that he's never spent any time with. How does that happen? And I think, I, I, you know, all I can do is speculate at this point, but I think that what we have here is you, you, you talk about the groups of people that are coming to Jerusalem during three festivals of the year. And, and we saw this in Acts at the beginning with, with the, 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 the Pentecost, right, at the, the Harvest Festival, and they're required to come to Jerusalem for this harvest festival, and you have people from all over the world that are coming, these Jews. So I think that, that Paul is writing about a group of people, and he even says that your faith is renowned throughout the world. If you're making that journey from Jerusalem, or even like Christ from Galilee, where you're just traveling from, from the north down into the south, that's one thing but what kind of dedication do you have from people who fled Jerusalem? And, and they fled Jerusalem through all different times and all, all different reasons, right? You have people that when Babylon came, like Lehi, where they pick up their stuff as a family and come all the way to the Americas. We don't even read about some of these other families that actually relocated into Rome, to Italy, relocated into France, relocated into Spain, relocated all over the place but they remained consistent in their faith. And they were close enough that they would travel back to Jerusalem when the temple was built and keep following that, that, that faith, that, that drive, that core. And they were renowned for their faith to be able to keep coming back in. So when you talk about this people in Rome, yes, Paul has never been there, but look at the list of people that Paul salutes at the end of the epistle by name. He knows people there, even if he hasn't been there yet. How does he know them? How does he know about their faith? Because they've probably interacted at Jerusalem. And here you have these groups of people from all over the world that are coming to Jerusalem and hearing about Christ and hearing about what Christ has done and going back to their homes far away. And, and you have these little branches, these little lights on a hill that are dwindling, that are trying to, to stay lit, that need faith. And, and so when Paul writes this epistle, keep in mind, he's not talking to a group of Jews in Jerusalem where everybody's like-minded and, and you're surrounded by people making the same choices. You're talking to a light on the hill where nobody else is like you. You're a small band of people being faithful in your religion even when the rest of the world around you believes a very different faith. That's the context to the book of, of Romans, the epistle to the Romans. Love it. All right. Romans 1, verse 1. That's where we're going. Yeah, baby. 
Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Ha ha, there it is, baby. I love I love the way Paul puts this, separated. And and you know, this language is not just unique to Paul, it's not just unique to the New Testament. When we are called to do something, are we not also set apart? And it's not separate separate set apart mean to separate unto, right? To be set apart to something. And and I like that Paul does this. We we look at the creation and how did the creation of the world take place? Was it not God separating the light from the darkness, the waters from the waters, the water from the dry land? It's it's a separation process. And we talked about this with the tabernacle when when they separate this from that, and this from that, and you have the different delineations of sacred space. Here's the court of the Gentiles, the court of the Israelites, the court of the priests, and then this, the, the Levites can come here, but they can't come there. The priests can come into the holy place, but only the high priest can come into the holy of holies. And, and all of this separation is creating different levels of, of holiness or sacredness. And, and the fact that Paul is separated under this, and, and we say this with, for this reason should a man cleave unto his wife. Shall he leave his father and his mother to cleave unto his wife? We can't really unify without there being some separation as well from where we were. And our process of becoming sanctified, of becoming holy, similar to how Paul says he was separated unto this gospel, he was separated from, you know, if you're going to be a part of this gospel, if you're going to be an effective missionary— you really need to stop arresting the Christians. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> There's certain behaviors uh, that just gonna, aren't going to fly. Thought, you thought you were going to slide that one past me, didn't you? <laughs> and as we grow, there are certain things that we separate from ourselves, from our past, from our experiences. And we look at it and say, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore. Maybe I should be separating and and myself from this type of activity, or maybe even sometimes separating myself from these types of associations. When we try to seek revelation and inspiration, sometimes we have to separate from our day time to, to be digging, digging into the scriptures. We have to separate time to be able to make it to the temple and join ourselves to the temple. And that's the whole purpose of the book of Leviticus. I know we talked about this a lot in the Old Testament. Maybe I've talked about it too much, right? Levi means to to divide and yet, through this whole book, it's how we unify ourselves with God through separating the sacrifices, the altars, and dividing. and Unification through separation, it's an interesting concept. Yep. Anything you wanted to add on that, Nate? Love it. All right. Let's, let's keep rolling through Paul then. Oh. Um, so we talked about these people being renowned, right? Verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, mm. right? He'd never been to see him, but yet their fame was still there. And how was their fame there? And we talked about that with, I think you see their devotion in their actions. And, I, and there's something to be said about that. Faith is the principle of action. When we believe, we, we act because of that, and you can see our belief through what we do, and that's what that's what's happening here with the Romans, and and that's driving a lot of Paul's feeling a need to be able to separate to to join himself with them. 
And he's just stoking him, dude. <laughs> he's, dude. He's also really good with people. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not saying that flippantly. He's also, you know, he's 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 a good speaker. He's a good writer. He's stoking him. He's like, hey, look. Everybody knows you guys are awesome. I'm Here we coming. go. I'm, I'm com- coming. I'm coming. <laughs> I, and when I get there, I expect a few free meals. Yeah, seriously. All right, keep going. All right. It, and, and something I kind of want to hit here. Remember the context of, of, of him saying, him addressing a people that are, that are not of the same faith or excuse me, I, I need to say this better. Him addressing a people that live in a part of the world that they are surrounded by people that are not of the same faith. And, and with that in mind, Romans chapter 2, and, and he says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things which are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And, and he says, And art confident, in, in that thyself art a guide unto the blind, a light unto them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the babes, which hast the form of knowledge and all truth in the law. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? And thou sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? That thou abhorrest the idols, dost thou not commit sacrilege? Thou that breakest thy boasted law, through breaking the law dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. And, and he's saying, if you, being, being instructed and, and having the covenant of God, and you, you, this is how people are judging your faith based off of you. Welcome to Utah, baby. <laughs> people look at you. And, and it's not just that you can be a good example to the world, but if you are to teach but not follow what you teach, if you were to say that you worship God and then you're doing something else, what kind of impact is that having on the people around you that don't believe? And when they see your actions and your hypocrisy and how you behave, it, it causes them to blaspheme the name of God because their interaction with God is based off of you. You're, you're causing them to not understand. So I think Paul here is talking to them. You are here a light to the Gentiles, a light to the world. You're living among a lot of these Gentiles. You're not here in Jerusalem surrounded by other people in Jerusalem, and people are going to be making judgment calls based off of what you do while you're out there. It's it's important. You've, I don't know. Did you run into this in the mission, Nate, when you would... Well, it's funny. It's like the, I didn't run into it as a missionary. You know, my both of my parents are not from Utah, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, my my mom talked about this all the time. Where she grew up in Montana, it's like she, everybody at her school knew that she was the Mormon kid, right? And she she said that that she felt the weight of that but that it inspired her to do good right because she's just like yeah you know if i'm if i'm out doing something that i'm not supposed to 
there's going to be a lot of people disappointed or that it's going to judge my religion because of how I act. And I'm like, hey, that's, that's not the worst thing in the entire world, right? Like there's probably times that I wish, you know, it's, it is one of the criticisms of living in Utah, right? But there is a little bit of weight behind that. You know, my, my wife grew up in California and, um, you know, I probably told the story, but one of, one of a really great story is her brother was on, I think it was a soccer team or something. And the ref gave him a yellow card for swearing. And Tanner's like, I didn't swear. I don't swear. And the whole team was like, like following the ref around yelling, he's Mormon. You just gave the Mormon kid the card for swearing. We all know he doesn't swear. Um, I, that, I, I am deeply moved by that for whatever it's worth that even his team, a bunch of people, a bunch of his friends who are very much, I'm sure not, you know, part of the religion. In fact, I know they weren't. They're the ones defending him, right? They're the ones, they're the ones chasing the ref down, just berating this dude going, you idiot, you gave the Mormon kid the, the card for swearing. Like we all know he doesn't swear. And I'm like, I respect that so much, you know? And and so like when I read when, again when we read this I I do think man I hope I hope we're not I hope we're not missing out on those opportunities I mean heaven knows I I have my things I need to work on right but you know maybe maybe it would be easier maybe it would be easier for me to work on those things if I was in an environment where it was like under a microscope yeah and people are like hey we expect you you know the the the, the there is very much, though, the kind of the opposite of that here, though, where it's like, you know, you'll have people that'll leave the church and it's like, well, it's because I had this one neighbor and he was a jerk and, you know, he's a, you know, I counsel him or whatever, he's a bishop or whatever. It's like, you know, it's like because of that, I just know that that's how all Mormons think. And you're just like, bro, you got to chill out. Like we're all we're all flawed and very unique and very different. And we're all doing our best, you know, but I don't know. You know, when we take the sacrament, we promise to take upon ourselves his name. And there's a lot of depth to that that you and I can get into later. But when we take the sacrament and make that covenant, that carries some weight to it too, you know? It does. I I ran into an area in Mexico where not long before we had arrived, 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 arrived. Arrived. No, a rivid's good. That's like the. <laughs> where in Mexico were you? <laughs> a rivid sounds right. No, that's how you have to say it at your homecoming victory lap speech. That's sad. A rivid. Uh huh. Okay, keep going. Not long before we showed up. <laughs> before we rolled in. Show it up. Yeah, before we show it up. The 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 bishop had done something incredibly inappropriate with kids there with seminary. Yeah. And and we didn't know. We we had no idea. But we we sure found out really quickly when we were knocking on doors and like oh we know your church and everybody would tell us about what happened Ugh. and it was not it was not very easy to find a lot of success when when that's how a lot of people were judging the church based off of what happened there and and Paul he draws this in here but at the same time remember he's saying. Don't despise the riches or the goodness or the forbearance and long suffering of God, knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. And and he he makes several times here the point all of us have gone astray. 
And, and he'll talk about the things that the Gentiles have done, and he talks about the things that the Jews have done. And he says, all of us need Christ. There's not one that doesn't need Christ. You, we, we've gone astray. They've gone astray. Let's, let's, let's forget the notion for a minute that any of us are perfect. But he, but he does, as he's, as he's starting to, to go down this channel, though, I, I wanted to finish because he actually raises a really good question. He says, um, I, I'm back at the end of 20, uh, verse 2, verse 2, back at the end of chapter 2, verse 22, for thou makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law dishonorest thou God, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as is written. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which by nature it is to fulfill the law, judge thee who is the letter and the circumcision that transgressed the law? All right, and, and we're getting through a whole lot of circumcision here. Let's... <laughs> Let's see if we could just take a step back and, and, and say what Paul's saying here. Let's refer to circumcision. What it represents is the covenant between God and his people. And if we were to relate this to modern terms, then, we, we, don't, we don't enter into circumcision to show that we are God's people to identify us as Israel today. What we do is, is baptism. So if we were to say, if you are baptized... And, and go back to, to what he says, if thou keep the law, then baptism profits you. But if you be a breaker of the law, then baptism is made unbaptism. What's the point of being baptized if you're going to break the law and go away anyways? It's, it, baptism, salvation is not through baptism. It's through Christ. Baptism is a relationship that we enter a covenant with Christ, but in and of itself has no power to save us. Christ has power to save us. Going through the act and the motion of doing it, but not following through on our part, disqualifies us from the blessing, and and it's as if we hadn't been baptized. But then Paul says, okay, but if you have your uncircumcised, or in this case we say you're unbaptized, and they are always trying to follow Christ— and love people, and do the best that they know how, and following as if they had made that covenant, will it not be counted to them as if they had been baptized? And he says, absolutely it will. And then he asks the very important question. This is chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit of there is there of circumcision? So why even enter the covenant if you can still be saved without having to enter the covenant and just be righteous? That's exactly his question. Is there any advantage to being baptized if, if being baptized and yet not following through on what you do disqualifies you? And if not being baptized, but by the way, being a good person qualifies you, then, then why even be baptized? It's a fair question. I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but like when I was, I don't know, 12... I was like, yeah, this is a total jip. I've done this all wrong. I should have not been baptized. Try to be a good person my whole life. And then right before I'm about ready to die, because again, I misunderstood, I think, what baptism was because we 
associate it with as soon as you come back out of the water, all your sins are gone and you're good, no matter what. Whether you've repented or not, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. You're good to go, which is funny because when you do a convert interview for a baptism, you know, you're very much making sure they've repented way before, you know what I mean? Like you're not going, hey, working all of your gnarly stuff now because tomorrow when we baptize you, you're good to go, right? The act of that alone is you're good. But, but of course, when you're a kid, you're like, wait a minute, I could live my whole life gnarly. I believe in everything. But when I'm like 70 and like right before I have this heart attack, I'm going to have them run me over to the church, baptize me real quick, then I'm good. Like, and then I can die whenever, right? Or or if we believe in baptism for the dead. Yeah, let them do it after this life. Yeah, just in case I didn't make it to the end. Like, okay. I'm just going to put this in my will, last will and testament. Make I can't sure you possibly do that baptism be, I can't me. possibly be the only one that's gone down this line of thinking. No. Because there's a misunderstanding of what baptism is. Absolutely. I, 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 okay, so I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna just say that that's the reason. But what I do love though is that he does raise that question, which is yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like we've absolutely all asked ourselves, wait a minute, we've made covenants, you and I, in a temple, and we've been told what happens if we don't keep those covenants. Like, wouldn't it be way better if we just like didn't make didn't any do that because then we can't be held responsible for not ignorance is bliss yeah kind of you know and yeah I know we can't be saved in our ignorance but but we still believe and we're still being good people I mean it's really not only is it a fair question but I would say it's even a line of thinking for a lot of people moving out of the church is that well look I don't want to go to I don't want to have to do all of those things, and I don't want to have to, you know, whatever, all the things that I sometimes even am like, oof, you know, like <laughs> when it's when it's time to pay bills and you're like, well, tithing or bills, you know, you're like, woo, right? Yeah. Self-employed. Um, self-employment's great. But, but I'm just saying it's like you look at some of these things and you go, I mean, I, I do believe in all, but can't I just kind of be good from the outside and— doesn't Paul bring up a good point? Like, can't I just be a good person? And why do I need to do all of these other things? I, I mean, is Jesus really going to keep me out if I'm just being a good person? So to your question, yeah, I think that's a pretty common question used in a lot of different contexts. I'm just glad that Paul hits it head on. Like, I do. I love that he tackles it. He's not shying away from it. I mean, this is somebody who who has a lot of he doesn't shy away from things. He he tackles he tackles things heads on. And in verse two, he says, "Much every way." So he's asked the question, "What does it benefit?" Right? What's the advantage? And and by answering it much, he's saying there is a huge advantage. In which way? Every way. There is a huge advantage to making those covenants in every way. And then he responds, "Chiefly." So you you may have an advantage in every way by by making this covenant, but principally, chiefly, the maybe the most significant advantage that you have is because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. And and the word translated as oracles here is logion, which is logos, the words. It's the words of God. When you enter into the covenant, what's the promise you make? And and is it not? Is, is baptism not followed by a receiving of his spirit? And is his spirit not there to direct you and give you his words? When we partake of the sacrament, 
Are we not promising to obey and keep his commandments in exchange for having his spirit to be with us? And what is his spirit if it's not giving us his words, revelation? The biggest advantage to to entering into that covenant relationship is to receive his guidance, his revelation, to have that direction to be able to guide us, to be able to help us, to be able to teach us, to educate us. And if ultimately the reason why we enter into a covenant is to become like God and to be like him, how can we be like him if we've never met him, if we've never heard his voice, if we don't know the way he thinks, if he doesn't talk to us? Is it not a huge advantage to enter into that covenant and to be able to hear his voice and to be able to become familiar with him in us trying to be like him? Yeah, I have a couple thoughts on this. Let's hear them. Um, we we just need to make sure that we don't oversimplify the role of the Holy Ghost and the gift of the Holy Ghost in this conversation. I'm not saying you are, but I'm saying like we as all of us. Okay. What I think that we we look at the gift of the Holy Ghost sometimes so casually that we we take for granted. That we've a lot of us have had the gift of the Holy Ghost since we were eight, right? And we, I think we sometimes almost become so comfortable with the light of Christ in us, right? Like the, you know, or the light that we carry with us generally, not saying that we don't blow it and, and lose that privilege all the time, but, but generally speaking, like the majority of us like know what it's like to be at peace, Really, and th- I think that we misunderstand sometimes that having the gift of the Holy Ghost is having a member of the Godhead with you at all times. If you're doing your best, right? If you're repenting, if you're if you're trying to be better. I mean, when you again the sacrament prayer. That you remember him, you keep the commandments, the ones that we've been given, right? And to take upon ourselves his name, to be in that covenant relationship with him. That we may have his spirit to be with us when we're hurting, when we're scared, when we're really nervous because we've lost a job, when we have a family member that we're concerned about, when we are having fertility issues, in a marriage, when you know what I mean, like all of these things that that happen, right? That are part of this experience. The gift of the Holy Ghost is so truly incredible. For for the purpose that, yeah, it can help give us answers. Great, it's purifying us when we repent. It's how we know that we're being forgiven. Great, I mean, yes, hundred percent. I'm not dismissing that. I guess do we really do we really acknowledge how incredible it is to be able to have internal peace amidst the storms of life. And and sometimes I guess I just wonder how how much we think about that aspect of it when we go when we're teaching especially young kids who probably have similar questions to the ones that Paul brought up, right? Like, wait, why would I get baptized now? 
if I can just wait till later and what and you're like cool that's a legitimate question Paul acknowledged it as well he, he, he let me read this to you now let me do a better job as a teacher of teaching you what the gift of the Holy Ghost truly is and do you really want to go through life without without it, it. and here's the other thing too even if this stuff is done for you in the next life, it's not like you just get like your ticket punched and you get to move on. Like, like, like we're here to learn, man. Like we're here, we're here to figure it out. If we go through life, maybe not make those same commitments and just, you know, try to be a generally good person and stuff like that, Paul's not suggesting you just get a free pass into heaven. Like, this stuff still has to be learned. Like, there still has to be a price paid for these things. Like, my goodness, this isn't—you don't get saved in your ignorance. Like, the fact that you have the companionship of a member of the Godhead, a God, to be with you, yeah, learning is a really important thing. That's the whole reason we kind of came, right? (laughs) Get a body and figure it out. Uh, That's a huge advantage, in going into the eternities, I would say, just because that's that's a missed opportunity, sadly, for a lot of people here in life. It it, it absolutely doesn't mean that they're going to be, you know, that they, they can't be, like you said, like Paul said, that they're not going to be qualified to make it. In fact, again, being a good person is probably going to be a massive head start in the next life. But we can't pretend like that, that there still won't need to be an accounting and that there still won't need to be a lot of things learned, like having the making covenants and having the gift of the Holy Ghost and knowing the peace and joy that that brings. Like maybe maybe when we read this, maybe we take it take it for granted because it's it's kind of so much a part of really who we are. But I will tell you this: those times that I have absolutely felt the the leaving of the Holy Ghost in certain situations, having felt it for so long. I mean, it really is like you being in a light room and having the lights flipped off and it's taking your eyes a little bit to adjust. It's like, whoa, 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 okay. Oh, that's what we're talking about. It's harrowing and it's really, you know... Ironically enough, eye-opening experience, right? <laughs> when the lights are shut off, and you go, "Oh, oh, oh, that's oh, I don't, I don't want to live life like this." Um, I, I, I think that we sometimes just remove any sort of post-life responsibility. Like, no, you, you still have to, you still have to figure it out. And two, just the peace amidst the storm is that's. I've said it before, I think it's the greatest blessing God's given us in this life. I think it's it's the greatest gift he's given us. I don't think we appreciate the gift of the Holy Ghost enough, and, and that's the point to Paul, right? It, there's a huge advantage to that covenant relationship. There's a huge advantage in every way, but chief among all of them is to have his words, to have his spirit to be with you, to to know what you want to do, to know where you need to be, to to have that clarity, to have that direction, to to have that focus. And that comfort, the comforter. You, you know, it's 
were, were you about to say something? Sorry. That's it. It it's it's been said so eloquently by uh, Robert D. Hells, later by uh, Thomas S. Monson, but it was uh, but it was at a, a BYU devotional. Robert D. Hells was speaking, and and he quotes Alice in Wonderland, and and he talks about how Alice shows up to the Cheshire Cat, and says, "Can you tell me which way to go?" And the cat says that that depends very much on where you want to go. Where, yeah, where you're headed. Yeah. yeah, and she's like, "Well, I, I, I got to admit, I don't really care where I go." And he's like, "Well, then it really doesn't matter which path you take, does it?" It's amazing. Yeah, and she's like, "Well, I do want to go somewhere." <laughs> he's like, "Well, you're definitely going to go somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it might. <laughs> you'll def- so good. You'll definitely get somewhere. It, you just might have to walk a lot longer to get there." And and Robert E. Hell, uh, Robert D. Hells brings it back and says, "We need to know early on where we're headed, and have that conviction, that guidance to 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 focus us." Now you think about a boat without wind in the water, or or not having a rudder, and and, and oftentimes in life, that's how we are when we don't have direction, we don't know where we're going. We're not getting very far fast. We're wasting our time. We're wasting. We're we're not we're not developing. We're not developing ourselves. We're not developing others. There's no direction to us. When you have the word of God, you get direction. You get focus. And and you talked about how having the lights turned off, right? When you lose the spirit. Imagine. Imagine being a cave. Have, have we all done those cave tours before when they turn off the lights? Oh, yeah, I'm not into that at all. pitch black and you can't even see your, your hand in front of your face? Yeah, I'm not doing that. Now, now could you imagine trying to run through that cave in a situation like that? You, you would have to have your hand along a wall and you would be feeling around and shuffling with your feet so that you don't misstep and fall down a, cra- a, a crevasse or something, right? You can't run in the dark. You can't run in life if you don't know which direction you're headed. The Spirit giving us focus and direction allows us to run, to grow faster, to develop. And and so go back to what Paul says, much. What's the advantage? Much in every way. What's what's the advantage if you had two athletes line up at the at the starting line to race and and one can't even see where the finish line is? and say, go. The one that can run to the finish is going to outperform the one that has no idea where he's even headed to get to the finish. Every time. It's a huge advantage, and and, and Paul makes that point clear. All right. Love it. So, going back, we're, we're, we're probably even running out on time, yeah. which is an unfortunate thing. When we talk about the writings of Paul, I, I really hope you guys can dive in and just read these. You'd look at a verse, a single verse, and start to dissect it and understand it. Paul's talking a lot about faith. He's talking a lot about salvation. And he's talking about works and what it means to have faith. And he's talking about the importance of covenants and priesthood. I, I want to go and, and start to kind of wrap this up. But at Romans chapter 6, he talks a lot about baptism. We're going to be doing a whole episode. I think we're actually pretty close to cutting that. We are. I, we, I know that I finished um, up a lot of the prep that I've been. We, we've been. We've been kind of teasing and prepping this for a little bit, and it's really because 
we we want these if we're going to be doing some of these like um extra episodes these bonus episodes we want to just make sure that we're coming in fully prepared without having to feel like oh dang we forgot kind of forgot to do this we kind of forgot to do that and all i know is for me really over the past like week have a lot of things have kind of like been kind of buttoned up with a lot of my prep and i know jason you've been prepped for a little while but but our first one that we are going to do is is on baptism and the baptismal covenant and the history and the symbolism and a really really in-depth deep dive on that ordinance so we'll we'll revisit Romans chapter six. So as we get into baptism here soon with our with our bonus episode on these ordinances, but one thing I did want to pull from Romans chapter six is verse twenty three: "For the wages of sin is death, mm. but the gift of God is eternal life mm-hmm. through Jesus Christ our Lord." And you you look at how Paul says this. He's very intentional. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. And you you would almost expect. If you're if you're talking apples to apples, wages of sin versus the wages of God. But if you if you make that jump, you've missed what Paul's saying. He doesn't say wages. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you earn wages for sin, but you don't earn wages for your righteous works. Does that sound fair, Nate? Does that I mean what I mean, it does to me only because I know that I could never put in the work required to ever, you know what I mean, work off the sacrifice that, you know, Christ paid for us. And and that, and that's something that Paul's trying to tell us here. Maybe not even just paying off the price of Christ, but there is nothing anyone has done that that through their works— they have earned salvation for themselves. You look at how righteous Abraham was, and and he he he's he's not holding anything back, being willing to sacrifice his son. And yet, are those actions enough to save him? No. As as great as Moses is, as great as any of the prophets have ever been, as great as we are, Paul keeps saying, and he's quoting Isaiah. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us has fallen short. If we want to talk about wages, none of us have earned eternal life. None of us have earned the wages of perfection. And so the wages that we have earned are always the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. That's what every one of us has earned. But the gift of God overcomes that. I love it, and and again, I'm sure we're as we go through the New Testament, we're going to talk a lot more about like the the nuance between, um, you know, faith and grace versus works. But this is kind of an introduction into that idea. But but we, there's plenty of time for us to talk. We're we're kind of over time, but but I do. I do love that I do love that Paul, even from the beginning though, introduces the idea that it's like it's not it this isn't a one or the other, you know, that 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 both are both are required for salvation and 
And I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think we need to get too much into that right now. We have plenty of time to do that. Yeah, I, and I think it's just a critical change of thinking. We don't, we don't love God. We don't love others because we're trying to earn our way. But, into I mean, heaven. but sometimes we are. Like, I think that that's actually maybe that's. But I, again, like, I don't mean to like be like totally disagreeing. But yes, we absolutely are trying to be good in this life because we're told we have mansions on high in the night. Like we are we are trying to be good so that we can be saved and live with our families again, right? I don't know. I think Paul's telling us that that this type of love is not something we do as a payment a, a payment up front or, or expecting any kind of wage okay, coming fair. back. Uh, that's fair. I guess I'm I don't necessarily see it as a payment necessarily, but I guess I'm just saying like I would personally just be I would personally not say that we don't that we absolutely aren't thinking of our eternal salvation when we are trying to do good now does that make it right or wrong okay cool there's probably that's actually probably the conversation to be had right with what paul's saying is are we loving are we loving are we able to love without thinking of what we're getting in return can we is is that godlike love is that are we you know what i mean are we serving our neighbor because we feel that godlike love or are we serving our neighbor going hey this will look really good on the resume for the next life but, but i'm just i'm just saying the reality of it is though is that why else would god not tell us of all the awesome things that we're going to get in the next life if we live up to the <laughs> live up and by the way the awesome things by the way not money not like you know, cars and, and fancy things like mansions. Yeah, but I mean, that's kind of, I, I say that kind of jokingly, but we're told we get to live with God and our families again for eternity. Oh, and build worlds and stuff too, which sounds pretty dope. All I'm saying is, is that it, I guess I'm just saying it's like, this is where it's nuanced, right? Like for me, at least there's still kind of that. Are we doing, are, here's the, here's, maybe here's a better example. Okay. Are we, are we trying to do our ministering so that hopefully in a church talk, somebody gives us a shout out in front of the ward and says like, oh yeah, my, my minister is great, you know, right? Are we, are we doing, um, are we going around, because again, like it's accomplishing something still, right? You're doing your ministering, you're doing your, you're, you know what I mean? Like you're doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing. Are we... Um, going around and doing service projects around the neighborhood, but making sure to email everybody and let them know, hey, guys, I'm going to be going around for the next six months doing service projects. So, you know, make sure to say hi and bring me something to drink. I, I, I'm just I'm just spitballing like examples. But are we being what the Pharisees are doing? Are we praying in public? Right. Not not because we think we need to be praying, but are we praying in public so that everybody will see and say, hey, man, this, this dude's awesome. Look at him, man. He's just praying all the time right here in the middle of the square. I, I, I read this a lot more as Paul, the Pharisee and Paul, knowing like, oh, yeah, well, we used to do this, right? We, we kind of are known for a lot of these. I don't know. For, for me, I, I guess I'm just saying I don't want to totally remove the idea that, heck, yeah, we're trying to do this this stuff for—, for at least I am like to me the the idea that I get to be with my kids and wife and and parents and siblings for eternity that sounds rad to me and that absolutely does motivate 
me to try to be better. I don't know. Like, But will that get you in there? Will that no, pay that price? No, it won't. No, and this is what I'm saying, and this is where the nuance comes in of, no, you're absolutely right. The only way... The only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ and his gift, his mercy, his grace, right? Mm-hmm. He has told me through prophets and scriptures, here are the things that I want you to do. Which include love God and totally. love your... Totally. So I'm going to do those things knowing that I still can't make it without the gift of God, but I'm definitely going to try to be better at doing all of those other things because I don't want the other option after this life. Like, I mean, that's to me, this has kind of been the whole point of everything we've been doing with this podcast is like there are nuances there that we that a lot of people don't want to touch. This is one of those nuances to me that I personally am like, I don't feel embarrassed to go, yes, I am trying to live my life 100% because I am scared of what the alternative would be in the next life. I don't want to, I don't want to be without my family for eternity. Does that, does that make it right or wrong? I don't know. Like I'm, I feel like we're being told, I feel like we're being incentivized to do good by being like, Hey, here's what you get if you do good. Like where's, where's, you know what I mean? Like where's the line here? Well, and I think we can take this right back to Paul's question. What then is the advantage of loving other people? What then is the advantage of keeping the commandments if the commandments don't save you? If 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 loving people doesn't save you? you go back to what he was saying with, with the difference between circumcised and uncircumcised. Hmm. If, if, if uncircumcised are going to be exalted because they lived right, or circumcised that don't live right are going to be debased, then what then is the advantage of being in that covenant? Mm. You know, you, you made you, that, that gave me a thought. And, and push back against this if I'm wrong, but like, this isn't an either or for me. Like, 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 I, I feel like almost now that it's, we're, 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 we're kind of incorrectly premising this argument as if it's an it's if as if it's a you work for your salvation or you just love like god like love and hope that everything sorts itself out like, like no those two are both incomplete right right we i i'm not going to say we i'll say i i'll talk about myself i find incredible joy in loving people I find I again like I am lucky. I'm blessed. I've I've had families that I've ministered to for quite some time and every time they tell me they're going to switch them up, I'm like, "Please don't. I'll do better. If you're switching them up because they've requested that I they get somebody else other than me, fine." I genuinely genuinely love the people that I the families that I have been assigned <laughs> strangely enough, right? To minister to I, I that doesn't feel like an assignment to me. But but like, I I don't I don't I don't think that it's wrong to be like. But I also want to fulfill, you know, what I've been called to do. You know, I mean, it's like those two things don't they don't feel like a an either or for me. I I, I find I get so much out of doing the 
you know, the things that I've been asked to do, and I love dearly the families that I minister to, and and both of those things are met, right? Like both of those things are good. Yes, I'm going to continue to try to magnify my calling in this ward because I know I'm blessed when I do that. Even sometimes when I'm like, I don't even know what my calling in this ward needs of me at this point. I, I'm just saying, there's times where I'm just like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I go to some meetings and I try to prepare some good teacher training, right? But, but yes, I am motivated to be like, but I want to dig deeper. Dude, why do we do this podcast, right? Like, dude, it, it's not an assignment of ours. And yes, we have a blast doing it. And yes, we do. But dude, we're talking about spiritual stuff. I mean, dude, we could do a podcast on anything. I'm just saying like, dude, part of the reason that we do this is because early on you and I were like, we want to bring a little bit of good to the world, man, if we can. We want to lift where we where we stand, right? Why would we do those? I mean, are, are you going are you going to say that you're literally only motivated to do good things by like, oh yeah, I mean it's great, it helps me feel good, or is it like, no, I'm motivated to to do what I've been asked to do because yes, I absolutely am trying to to secure like a, a solid resume in the next <laughs> life, but at the same time, it's not like it's miserable. This is a blast, man. And dude, when I'm when I'm when I'm doing the things that I've been asked to do, really for the most part like it's not hard because it's like, man, I just feel better. Like I, this is bringing me joy. I can only imagine how much more joy I would feel in the next life if I can continue to 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 endure to the end. Am I totally off here, man? Not at all. I think I think we can take Paul's first question, what then is the advantage? Of, of being circumcised, of, of being in the covenant, or as we said, by extension, being baptized, if, if it doesn't matter one way or the other. And his answer was, much in every way. And yeah. I think we take that question and says, what then is the advantage of doing good to others, of loving others, of, of trying to, like you say, build a resume that's going to help us into heaven? I say that if sarcastically. Please re- nobody email us, but yes. <laughs> If there's no wages that get there, if it's a gift that God's going to give regardless of what you've done or haven't done, God's gift that you didn't earn, as good as you were, you didn't earn it, then why then do good? What's the advantage of doing good? Take Paul's same answer, much in every way. And I agree with him. And chiefly, chiefly, is by receiving the Word of God. And I feel like to receive the Word of God, you live good, and you're kind, and as you live as Christ would live, as Christ received instructions from his Father, we receive mm. instructions from the mm. Spirit. I like that. That is, that is the blessing that the Spirit will be with you is just as much a part of the covenant you make with baptism as it is after you've entered in the way, when you live good and live as Christ, you receive that direction, and it is still an advantage much in every way to live that way. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm just, I, again, I totally agree with that, and, and, not, and adding to that, 
and I am very driven and motivated to to make my heart what it needs to be in this life so that I continue to try to be better because I I want to be with my loved ones in the next life and that is a motivating thing for me and that drives me to that drives me to be better man that's all and I don't think there's anything wrong with that either I don't think that there's anything wrong with looking forward to going no I I don't want the alternative I think you're right all right, Jonah and the whale. Quit. I know we got I, if it. You, we if teased you guys, it the first thing, but dude, we got to get to it. If you're still listening to this episode at this point, eighty minutes in. Oh my gosh. Okay, we might have to simplify. We some might. Of that. Okay, just that's fine. If you're still listening, hey, 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 Nate. Yeah, I love if Jonah you, the whale. If you have, if you have the tribulation uh-huh. and have learned patience to get to this <laughs> point in the <laughs> yeah. podcast, yeah. You were about oh. to you were about to gain some experience Wheels that will give away. you hope in, in listening to I'm just gonna play that entire arcade fire song right now. All four and a half minutes. People will be like, bro, this is a good is I mean the track's fire, but Okay, Joan and the Well, let's do it. I think it's fascinating that Paul, in my mind, and we didn't hit this last week, but it's important for this week that we at least mention this. Paul is Jonah 2.0. Okay. And and here's what I mean. Jonah is going to Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, which, by the way, is the leading world power, which is going to conquer the entire known world. Paul is going to Rome, which is the capital of Rome, which is the world power at the time. Wait, Rome was the capital of Italy, the right? Roman, the Roman Empire. Oh, okay. Keep going. If we're talking, see, if if we had a city called Assyria, it would fit a little bit nicer. Oh, that's a good point. Okay, good. So we got Rome. It's the capital of Rome. <laughs> I mean, it's the Roman Empire. But okay. Anyhow, also about conquering the world. Which, which, by the way, Paul, Paul's in this whole thing is going off on on the value of Gentiles, and and we we recently talked about Peter and this revelation that the gospel should go to the Gentiles, and and how this is groundbreaking. Why is this groundbreaking considering that Jonah went to Assyria and to, to teach the Ninevites and Nineveh, the Assyrian, they're all Gentiles. This is not a new thing that God sends prophets to the Gentiles. Correct. Which, by the way, Christ comes from Rahab, from Jericho, not Israel. Mm. Right? David, their beloved king, has Gentile blood in this line. So... So it's not as it's not as groundbreaking as as we like to think it is in the New Testament. Many times in the Old Testament we see this happening. But anyways, both Paul and Jonah going on missions to Gentiles, not just to Gentiles, but to Gentile kingdoms that are ultimately going to destroy Israel. Both of them go shortly before the kingdoms come in and destroy Israel. Now, Paul flees from this opportunity and tries to go to Tarshish. Jonah flees from this I'm opportunity. Sorry. Jonah flees from this opportunity and tries to go to Tarshish, which which many say is actually Spain. And and Paul ultimately is trying to get to Spain. I, there's just a lot of weird similarities in this deal. Okay. Both of them get end up in a boat. <clears throat> Both of them end up in a boat that gets caught in a nasty storm. 
and and both of them are at a point where everybody in the ship is going to die. Right? There's there's a lot of similarities. That this is where the similarities stop, and there's some differences. In Jonah's case, he's running away from what God's asked him to do. In Paul's case, he's running towards what God has asked him to do. But in Jonah's case, the thing is, he asks to be thrown in the water to save everyone else's life. Where in Paul's case, everyone else is trying to jump into rescue boats and sell off into the island. And Paul says, if anyone leaves the boat, then then you're going to die. You need to stay on the boat with me. And Paul's not sacrificing himself. In fact, Paul takes these group that had been fasting for 14 days and says, let me feed you food and comfort you and bring you cheer. Paul is not giving up his life or dying in this. So you've got these two guys on very similar missions. And remember that Jonah is a sign of Christ. He's going to be dead for three days and three nights, and he's going to rise again. And you see this image of Christ. When Christ first comes, he is going to sacrifice himself to save everybody else in the boat. But here's the deal. Christ, when he comes, how many times says, Father, let this cup pass from me? This is a hard thing. And, and, and he's not super excited to go into this and, and do this thing. I look at Paul as another image of Christ, but I look at this as an image of Christ coming a second time. In this case, he doesn't need to sacrifice himself anymore. In this case, he's not running away from anything or, or, or dreading going into this, but he's running into it with joy He's come off conquer. He's, he's encouraged. And in this case, to save everybody in the boat, it's not, I need to sacrifice myself. That price has already been paid. I need you to not leave me. Mm. I need you to stay with me and not leave the boat if you want to be saved. And I see here Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. And I see Paul as a second Jonah and I see the Gentiles as a very significant part of the story in both cases. Anything you want to add on that, Nate? Nailed it, other than just the story of Jonah is just terrifying, and always will be. It's both terrifying. I mean, the story of Paul, you're like, you know, they got better boats probably. What are we looking at a thousand years later? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. They had to lighten that ship and throw everything off. I know. I do. I do love. I do love the. the I do love the idea of Paul. Just be like, you're all staying on the boat. <laughs> you're not getting off. And and the crazy thing is, Paul's not going to enforce that. He's a prisoner, right? So what does he do? He looks to the soldier. The soldiers. Yeah, and it's not even the centurion, lines, right? It's the soldier, and and he tells the soldier, if they get off the boat, you die. And the, the soldier's like, yeah, I, I, care I a would little. prefer not to do that. I care a little bit about living. It's so funny. Okay, it's great. Good stuff. Um, thank you all for listening. We love doing this thing. It's late for us. I had I had a I got in late this morning. We we appreciate you hanging in there with us for eighty five minutes. My goodness, I, I'm not even going to edit it. I'm sorry, it's too late. Hopefully, hopefully everything we said in here made some sort of sense to you. You're worried, aren't you, Jason? You know what? I'm not, dude. We don't, tried. Don't, don't even worry about it. <laughs> 
We really appreciate listening. If you have any questions or comments, please get a hold of us at hi at weeklydeepdive.com. Um, we really do appreciate thoughts, feedback. We have been doing a lot of outside of the um, Come Follow Me lessons preparation. We've wanted to just in general start doing more kind of deep dives on specific topics and things and we we feel like we have a couple good things planned um but send us any thoughts feedback please don't send us criticisms not this week just leave us alone this week <laughs> let, let it rain no don't let it rain not this week we just, need patience no i dude i need sleep um <laughs> we we do appreciate listening leaving reviews all of that good stuff until next week see ya